Tell me, can you feel it? Tell me, can you feel it? Tell me, can you feel it? The, the heat, heat is, is on. on. I'm Kelly Powers. And we didn't rehearse that. No. But I'm Burr Phillips. Uh, this is Illuminates, the podcast that is just burning, doing the Neutron Dance. And uh, if those two gems of 80s soundtrack were not enough of a suggestion for you, uh, today we'll be talking about 1984's action comedy Beverly Hills Cop. Brent, what's, uh, what are your memories of Beverly Hills Cop? Fond. Yeah. Well, you know, I I never... <laughs> I think this might be the only time I've seen an uncensored version of it. Oh. Because this was like a, a yeah. TBS classic. I would say I probably watch it most on TV. Um, yeah, network TV. And it was funny because I, I watched it with Brandy and she was like, man, they, they said the F word like a lot. And I was like, I guess. And then like what she had brought my attention to, I'm like, oh, deep. Okay. Yeah. yeah, they really did. <laughs> yeah, but but other than other than the language which lifts out and like one scene at a strip club yeah. where you could just cut that one shot, uh, it all just works, man. It, it was an easy TBS conversion. Yeah, that's what I was just gonna say. Like, I, I mean, you're saying that they swore a lot, and I'll take your word for it. But I just watched it, you know, less than forty eight hours ago, and I don't <clears> remember them swearing like at all. Maybe I it just didn't st- it just didn't register with me, so it's probably just the same like being thing. at home with yeah. the kids. Yeah, I'm sure the the strip club scene still registered with me, and I would notice that <laughs> if the kids were in the room. But uh, aside from that, no. Um, but yeah, my uh, all my memories about this movie are associated with its music. Hell, yes. it was one of the few soundtracks I owned. Really, Axel F remains. God, the only song I can play on a piano. Nice. Um, you know, for whatever. You know, when you're at a party and someone's like, hey, Brent, play something. sit down on that piano and uh, tickle those keys. I'm like, all right, here we go. Dude, that's much do, better do, game. Do, 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 do. <laughs> that is much better game than when I sit down, tickle those keys, Kelly, and I start doing the theme from Halloween. Because <laughs> it's just... Yeah. I. For me, this movie was my introduction to Eddie Murphy like I was uh, about eight when this movie came out in theaters and you saw this in the theater no oh that's what I'm okay. saying like but, oh, okay yeah, but, yeah. but I wasn't like like you know I wasn't watching Eddie Murphy on Saturday Night Live that's for sure and I and I didn't really see him in anything was this until before this or after coming to America this was way before way before okay so like he had done a, a couple movies before Beverly Hills Cop, but for me, this this felt like this was his huge hit mm-hmm. um, that made him a huge star. I he had done Forty Eight Hours, he'd done Trading Places, both big hits too. Um, he'd also done some movie with Dudley Moore. <laughs> I, I don't even know the name of it, but I I was just looking on IMDb for. The stuff that came before Beverly Hills Cop, and it's just those those three. It's Forty Eight Hours, Trading Places, and this movie with Dudley Moore. I've never heard of this Dudley Moore. Nobody man. saw it. It, fly, oh, okay. it tanked terribly. <clears throat> Bummer. Um, and like I remember, I was reading about somebody asked him, "How could you do that movie?" And he said, "They drove a giant check up to my house, and I said, whatever you need." <laughs> <laughs> and that's why I did the movie. Um, but Forty Eight Hours and Trading Places, both great movies, both yeah. great performances by Eddie Murphy. Both times he's playing a crook. And then Beverly Hills Cop. Yeah. Uh, which must, must have made that a seemed, nice change of pace. That seemed intentional on his part. Yeah. Um, the interesting thing 
that I came across when when reading about the film uh, when prepping for the podcast was that this movie was originally written for Sylvester Stallone. Now take a moment <laughs> to sit with that and imagine how different this film it would be. It would have just been this straight up Sylvester Stallone action. But it wasn't. It was always going to be a comedy and that's why Stallone eventually left. He was uncomfortable with the comedy. Oh. So okay. he left pretty early on. Like he didn't even start shooting anything. But he was originally attached and it was written for him. Yeah, Stallone has no comedic timing that I've ever witnessed. Not not entirely true, if you ask me, because didn't he do Tango and Cash with uh, uh, Kurt Russell? Uh, I guess. And but... there's a lot of action comedy in that. Yeah, but isn't he the straight man? Like, he's not... They're both kind of... Well, I mean, I don't know. I think they trade pretty evenly back and forth on the, the right. one-liners in that movie, and they did okay. I think he just, at that point, like, in 1984, he wasn't ready to do that kind of thing. Yeah. He hadn't, he hadn't, he hadn't gotten the chops yet. That and to be honest, in 1984, there's probably a lot more money in being a straight-up super action hero than there is in... <laughs> doing Cobra. Doing comedy stuff. Yeah, yeah. that's true. That's true. Um, but man, what a fun movie this is to, to watch. This, I, I, I always had fun watching this movie when I would catch it on TV, and it was fun watching it now, too. I just really enjoyed it. Um, Especially the beginning, man. Like, the the car chase and stuff at the beginning is oh, insane. They blow their whole budget, it seems, on that one. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's get back to that in a second, though. I just wanted, before we walk away from Stallone, they wrote it originally for Stallone, and then there was, like, 12 or 13 other people that they were trying to convince to come into this movie when Stallone left. Mm -hmm. They talked to James Caan. Okay. Yeah. Billy Crystal, Gregory Hines, who both ended up doing a buddy cop movie together uh, later. I don't know if you ever saw it, but it's great, called Running Scared. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that movie. It's hysterical, and it's a good action buddy cop movie. Um, Bruce Willis. Okay. They looked at him for a long while with this. and, and this He actually would have been good at it. He would have been think. good, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of similarities between Axel and uh, John McClane, I think. I mean, John McClane... They're very different people, but they have a very similar kind of sense of humor, and uh, yeah, that that would have fit. Arnold Schwarzenegger, God, he the thing is, he would try. He wants he to do comedies. He's always up for trying. Yeah, but he just I don't. He think did he Kindergarten Cop after all? But again, he plays Kindergarten Cop very straight. straight. It's the kids that are all doing the jokes, man. Yeah, um, I think maybe. The only thing I ever genuinely laughed at Schwarzenegger doing was Twins with DeVito. That's fair. Which was pretty solid. Um, but it's just, just like everybody was was looked at for this, but eventually they settled on Eddie Murphy. And what a choice. I think that was a great choice. Um, now, let's talk about this this car chase at the beginning. It, the movie opens with, with this little montage of Detroit and... and for some reason, they're still showing you, like, the auto industry in Detroit for, for a little bit, too, and that is already way declined in 1984. Yeah. There's, like, nothing left of the, of the Detroit auto industry in 1984. Well, it's funny. So, Brandy had never seen Beverly Hills Cop, and, you know, it's titled Beverly Hills Cop. So, like, we're looking at this, and, she, and like, she's sort of, like, screwing around on her phone and sort of looking, and she's <laughs> like, man... What shithole part of LA is this? Yeah, and, you know, in the, <laughs> like, no, in no, the no. 80s, it was a whole different area of Beverly Hills. Yeah. 
Um, just a lot of great characters walking around Detroit in this opening montage. Yeah. Um, I was reading about how the director, um, Martin Brest, and the production crew were... Because at the time, Detroit was a very dangerous uh, city. It's still, you know, it's a pretty dangerous city, but its its crime rate was through the roof in 84. Yeah, it's better And now. so they're walking around shooting just, you know, footage for this very purpose. And the cops were with them in some areas. And in some areas, the cops would be like, we're not going with you in there. <laughs> don't go in there. It's you Don't go in there. And Martin Brest was just like, we'll be fine. And they went and they, and they were fine. Nobody bothered them. They saw they were a film crew. They're not going to like... Yeah. You know, jump them or anything. They were fine, and they walked around and they shot as much footage as they needed and uh, got the flavor of <laughs> of the area, I suppose. Yes. Um, and then that, you know, Axel is selling cigarettes out the back of the truck, and and the cops show up and blow his whole undercover sting operation, and the truck takes off with Axel in it, and he's dangling from that chain out the back. And there's this... And, like, of course it's not Eddie Murphy, but someone did that. That looked like a super dangerous thing. I couldn't believe how dangerous it looked. <laughs> it's So it's a it's a trailer with two... Um, what do you call those? Two truck trailers attached to each other? Yeah, um, yeah like two cars on Yeah, two trailer cars attached to the truck. Yeah. And every time it turns a corner, he's on the very end of two trailer cars, just dangling on a chain. Around, yeah. <laughs> and he comes flying out. You see his legs kick wide up into the air and whip around the side of the car. And I thought, I know that's not a Murphy, but that stuntman is insane. Somebody did it, yeah. And they plow through. I mean, if Detroit was uh, not messed up before this car chase, Detroit <laughs> is destroyed at the end of this car chase. They just... Also, like, man, did this truck have just infinite momentum? Like, it just plowed through <laughs> oh, every yeah. car. Nothing would never pop its slowed. tires. It was just geez. it never slowed at all, and it would just rip through cars. And then the cars that it would rip through would explode behind it. Huge explosions. And there's a lot of like action sequences in this movie, but nothing compares to this nothing like that. Scene. Yeah. And I thought, what an interesting choice to blow it all in the first two minutes of the movie. This is hey man, it got my attention. It sure did, and it's a lot of fun to watch, and it yeah. certainly puts you in the in the mood. Um, the other thing I noticed was the Detroit cop cars, because this truck is being pursued by I don't know fifteen different mm-hmm. Detroit cop cars. What is up with the design of these Detroit cop car sirens? It looks like a full metal trash can has been upturned and stuck <laughs> on the roof of the car, and that's one siren. <laughs> and they all have this R2-D2 thing sticking out the top of their roof. It's gigantic and bulky. I don't know. I don't know what the plan is. Maybe it had cameras in it or something. It was huge. It looked like a turret for a tank or something on the top of every squad car. It's Detroit, man. Oh, it was weird. Um, spectacular. Just spectacular scene. I loved it. And immediately after that, you know, they just do a quick cut back to Detroit police headquarters and Axel's walking in like nothing happened. And out of nowhere, there's Paul Reiser. <laughs> yeah. Paul Reiser's his, his, his buddy who like shows up and is like, well, man, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. And he disappears and you never see him again. Never gets any other name but Jeffrey. Not a rank. Yeah. Not a last name. No. Is he a detective? Is he just a rookie cop? He's his partner. He's probably Detective Jeffrey. I assume so. In fact, he comes back in the sequel. Jeffrey. Again, doesn't get a name. Really? Yep. Oh. In the sequel, he gets a little more to do because <laughs> Axel relies on him to cover for him while he's gone in part two. And so Paul Reiser gets a little expanded role in some funny little scenes, but in this, he's in and out, and he's gone in no time. It's surprising they brought him back for part two. Like, nobody would have remembered if they'd left him out. Paul Reiser, Paul remember. Remember. 
Um, and he does this bit where where he's he's like, dude, Inspector Todd's looking for you. I'm just trying to tell you. Steer clear. And he says, uh, he follows him in the locker room and, and he's trying to like whisper to him while Todd's yelling at him. And, he's, and Todd's like, Jeffrey, what are you doing here? And he does this bit where he says, this is not my locker. <laughs> and walks away. He does the same bit in part two. When he's, he's, he's on the phone underneath Inspector Todd's desk using Todd's phone. So that he can pretend to be Inspector Todd when they're calling to ask about Axel Foley. Yeah. He's like, yeah, it is Todd. What you want? <laughs> and he hangs up the phone and Todd's standing there above his desk. He's like, what the hell are you doing? He goes, this is not my office. <laughs> You're damn right it's not. And he gets up and leaves. Um, but I love Inspector Todd. Yeah, he's great. Inspector Todd is played by legit real life Detroit homicide detective Gilbert R. Hill. <laughs> nice. The man's an actor, but the man is also a homicide detective in Detroit. <laughs> Holy shit, that's that's amazing. Um, I like that. This is just what he does. Like, I don't think he did much of any other acting except Beverly Hills Cop and Beverly Hills Cop 2. That strikes me like um, <clears throat> when they're shooting Predator, uh, you know, a lot of those guys, like, look tough, but they never, like, done combat or anything except for Jesse Ventura. I don't think he was out of the military for very long before he even did that movie mm. so like he had to like but they had their like combat guys come up and be like so this is what you're gonna do and he's like I've done it for real step off and yeah. like and they're like does that count and like he does it perfectly and they're like alright <laughs> yeah and and Todd I mean I had read about him being a real detective before I watched the movie and then I'm watching the movie knowing that this guy's a real detective and not so much an actor, but an actual cop. And I'm watching him. He like, did a great job. He's really good in the scene. Like, yeah. really good. He keeps great eye level with, with with Foley, and he just intimidates the hell out of him. And he looks great. Although, he doesn't really intimidate him. He does that sort of... You can tell Axel is suitably dressed down and abashed, but Axel is Axel, so he's not going to let it slide without some sort of side work. So he's mm-hmm. like, Chief didn't, Chief didn't tear all your ass off. You still got a little on there left. That's great. <laughs> Um, and you know he's he is the quintessential uh, exasperated captain. police yeah, captain yeah. who's tired of defending these screwball antics to the chief. <laughs> he's a year away from retirement, Brent. He looks it too. Yeah, he really does. He looks like he's a year away from retirement and he's had it. He can't just he can't do the shit anymore. Yeah, I'm too old for this shit. Um, but he's he's great in that exasperated role. Um, and then. Axel goes home, and we get that first sweet, sweet taste of Axel F. That incredible music on the synthesizers going. And I just think, as personal themes go for a character, you couldn't do better than that that music. I mean... I mean, it's... <laughs> at least personally, it's like the most iconic piece of music I've ever heard. Like, I think it's really comparable with the John Williams Indiana Jones personal theme sure I think it's really comparable like they're both very you immediately identify you know exactly where that character's at I mean even granted Indiana Jones is a more popular movie but like if you normalize for how popular Indiana Jones was and that song's recognizability versus this yeah I think Axel F would win it's so specific I do too anyone who's seen this movie hears that they're like hey that's a song yeah yeah, it's immediately it's it's stuck in your head for li- legitimately for days. I just watched it and I've been I've been, it's been in my head for days. It's probably been in my head for thirty years. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Also, 
not to I mean I love it and I'm not gonna I'm not trying to put it down in any way but it's also like immediately makes you want to like do do the robot or something like yeah. you know you like move your your arm joints makes, in a certain way makes me want to get out like my Casio keyboard that has the like helicopter sound effects yeah. and like jam Absolutely. on with by it. the way um those of you who may not know listening at home Brent does all the editing on our show Feel free to sprinkle in Axel oh, at, at every a, opportunity you feel like. It's it. gonna be a little, little, little Axel F in here. I think we we need to open with uh, the heat is on, and then Axel F until the cows come home. So <laughs> we go to Axel's apartment, and uh, we meet Mikey Tandino, Axel's childhood friend, fresh out of prison, and he's showing his cop friend immediately this. Plastic trash bag full of hey, German bonds I got. And he's like, dude. I'm showing my cop friend my latest crime haul. And and Foley's just like, did you rip these up? You know what? I don't even want to know. Just he's I'm like, so happy to see you. And we immediately know that, that Axel has a very sliding scale as to who should be busted and who should not. Yeah. Um, and it made me think. I mean, obviously, it's it's immediately apparent by the, the way these two treat each other. Uh, and the genuine love coming across between the two of them that they just adore each other they're childhood buds um, but it's also immediately apparent by Mikey's suggestion that they go steal a car for fun <laughs> that he is the childhood friend who is no good to hang out with anymore yeah and I was just curious I'm not asking for any names but do you have, did you ever have one of those friends who if you see him years later it's like you know, your wife looks at you like, oh, I can't believe you're hanging out with him again. Do you really have to get together with them tonight or whatever? No. Like, it's just that one friend that's not a good influence on you. All my friends that were bad influences at the time have gotten their stuff together. Like, oh, they're good. All reasonable people now. Excellent. Well, that's, that's the ideal outcome. I don't know. I don't have any, like... See, I have, like... Ex-cons that... No, I don't have any, any ex-con friends. But I have, like... <clears throat> A friend from like high school who I adored. I had tons of fun with him. Always a great time. Made me laugh harder than anybody. But he was always he was always like Captain Bad Idea. <laughs> and I know that if he showed up tomorrow, like, hey man, I'm in town. Let's get together and have a drink. I would be like. <laughs> maybe I shouldn't go <laughs> because some people are just bad influences on you they don't want to go to jail yeah yeah and maybe Axel should have been like hey Mikey it's great to see you um, tell but, me what hotel you're staying at and yeah. we'll uh, talk later um, but that doesn't happen Mikey does tell him though that he, uh, he's been working in Beverly Hills for their other childhood friend Jenny Summers mm-hmm. um, and we'll get to her later and then, you know, they go out, they have a couple of drinks, they come home rip-roaring drunk, and they get attacked at Axel's apartment by the bad guy with the scariest name in all of movie history, Zach. <laughs> That's right. Mike Paul Gossler from, uh, I'm sorry, Mark Paul Gossler from Saved by the Bell. Uh, Zach. Uh, he's not actually Mark Paul Gossler. Yeah. I was like, what? Yeah. No, actually, uh. I think the last thing I saw him in was uh, Community. The guy played Zach. Yeah, he's uh, he's like the gruff ex-policeman turned. Oh, community. is he really? 
community college professor. Yeah. I missed a lot of community. I only saw the first couple seasons. It's only in the last oh, okay. last bit. Yeah, Zach shows up, knocks Axel out before Axel can even see anything, and then he does this thing where it, it immediately tells you how evil Zach is because yeah. Zach could have just shot Mikey, taken the Barabons, and gone home. But no, he lets him think he's going to get away. That is so sadistic. Punches him in the stomach and then kills him. I'm just watching it thinking, come on, man. If that you're going to do this, for. do it. But you don't have to string him along and let him think he got off the hook. That was so evil. <laughs> and the only reason he did it was because he's evil. Yeah, it's just a D-bag. Um, and so Mikey's dead. And we, you know, we see the cops investigating later. Everything's a crime scene. And Foley does a quick PTO request to Inspector Todd. I'm gonna I'm gonna take some vacation time, and Todd's like, you know, I know you're looking into this case, right? <laughs> it's not like this is covering anything, and he's like, no, I'm just taking time off. All right, fine, go. And now uh, we move to Beverly Hills. And I didn't notice this the other times I've seen this this movie, but he drove there from mm-hmm. Detroit in his piece of crap car, and I was just like, wow, in his well done badass Nova. And we get the second. Uh, montage sequence of, of external town scenes this time at Beverly Hills which which parallels the Detroit scenes we got at the beginning of the movie um, the music is super upbeat for having just lost Mikey <laughs> I know, right? it's super upbeat I think it I don't know if it was the Pointer Sisters or somebody but it was just like happy, yeah, it was just Mikey happy cheerful we only knew him for a couple minutes and and Foley's driving through with a big old grin on his face like he's super happy to be there. He's been on the road for two days. That's true. He's happy to have just arrived. Yeah, He's probably already over it. He's looking at all the bizarre folks who are out walking their dogs in really weird outfits. Yeah. Um, and and he pulls into the Beverly Palm Hotel, which is supposed to blow us away by telling him that it's $235 a night. <laughs> but all I thought was, that's fine. Like not in, Beverly, not Beverly Hills, that's cheap, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah. that's super cheap for Beverly Hills. Um, I'm gonna break in with two hundred of those. Yeah. One, we haven't talked about Eddie Murphy's distinctive laugh, which, like, the movie even makes fun of. That's a great moment too. Um, because like it just keeps coming up. Where it's like, uh, 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 uh. <laughs> that's not bad. <laughs> and, like, like it. It just adds that extra spice to every single comedic segment as then he's laughing too and you're laughing right. at his laugh and just it just works. Right. Man. It's so good. And so it's, I mean, that is Eddie Murphy's laugh. That's how the man laughs. Yeah, he, he's not putting on anything. In every movie show he's ever done, yeah, it's always the same. <laughs> but for some reason, I think I always kind of think of it as Axel, as Axel Foley's laugh too. <laughs> um, I love it. I think it's great. It makes yeah. you immediately like him. It's great, man. There's a lot of choices that make you immediately like him. He's he's he he does like little things that like obviously Eddie Murphy is a talented comedian and he's playing uh playing this role with a lot of comedy in it, but it's a it's a heroic role too. And so the reason I think we like Axel as much as we do is not because there's a comedian playing him well, but because the character is someone who himself loves comedy like Axel's a cop but he's a cop who's constantly doing comedy mm-hmm. even if it's just for himself like the people who are around him they never even understand half the things that's going on they they don't laugh at his jokes and say that guy's hysterical when he leaves they they basically re- react to him with 
confusion and like, does anybody <laughs> understand what just happened when that guy came in here? Um, but he's having a great time. He's just making fun for himself as he's investigating his friend's murder and stuff. As he should. It's hard not to like him. Um, Sorry. Second, gonna second thing. I'm going to get the other beers. Yeah, absolutely. thing I wanted to mention was when Eddie's walking around Beverly Hills uh, he comes across the two guys wearing the black different Michael Jackson stuff right now they're Michael Jackson outfits but they're also Eddie Murphy Raw outfits yeah that's true so Raw came out after this though right I, I don't think I don't this know. predated when he laughs at them you know the audience eats that up yeah um, that's just a great moment so we go to the art gallery because he's going to go look up his, his friend Jenny and find out uh, what Mikey was doing for, for Jenny in the art gallery. And we uh, find the art gallery being manned by Serge. Serge. Played by Bronson Pinchot. And uh, Bronson Pinchot's using a, an accent here. How do we feel about this accent? He's, he's putting on an affect. It's quite affected. Um, this is a variation of an accent that he'll later use and kind of refine for Perfect Strangers as Balky. Yeah. Um, but again, I mean, doesn't he play a bigger part in uh, Part Two? I think he mm, is he in Part Two. He might be in. Part or maybe it's Part Three. I think but he might like, be in Part Three. I don't know. But there was actually very little of him in this movie. But I remember a lot of him because so, I watched all three like more or less on repeat. It's funny you should. You should comment on the the amount of, of Serge in this movie because originally, the art gallery is manned by two people, not not one. You see him for half a second, the second guy, but they scaled back his role to almost nothing because Bronson Pinchot is doing this Serge accent, and they can't get it, the the producers can't get enough of it. The director's <laughs> like, forget the other guy, we're just using him. The poor other guy. The other guy is the guy with his shirt. But mm -hmm. unbuttoned open mm -hmm. and all the hair hanging out and he goes yeah. it's not sexy it's animals <laughs> that other guy had like a bigger role and the two of them were working together he's gone sorry okay. Bronson Pinchot's cut through it's right done. Bronson ain't messing around and uh, I think it, he does a, it's a great comedic effect especially with the little Lyman twist mm -hmm. well and one thing I'll say especially for 1984 they don't ever like they don't really play him for gay laughs or anything. Um, Axel being black doesn't come up. No. And what's great about the scene is um, Axel's not... Axel is, like, just just astounded and perplexed by Serge. He's just, like... He's just as perplexed by the art as he is right. Serge. It's Serge, not like he's being weird to Serge him is yet. just another bizarre factor of this world he knows nothing about, which yeah. is this bizarre art world. Get the fuck out of here! But no, I thought I it like, you know, a lot of times you watch movies from around this era, and certain opinions and stances don't hold up so well. Sure. And like, nothing about Beverly Hills Cop struck me that way. No, not at all. Um, <laughs> you uh, you find out? Oh, you meet Jenny, who is beautiful, and of course. 
She's, um, a, she's a girl in the 80s. Yeah. She's, she's beautiful, and I thought the actress did a, a wonderful job with her. At no point do we do we think of her as um, helpless or um, clueless or anything. I mean, she's just... She's an art She's just another dealer. character who just happens to be... Right. She's an art dealer, but when this amazing, dangerous stuff is happening around her, she deals. Yeah. Like, she she get, she sucks it up and is like, all right, well, let's let's get on with uh, finding out what really happened to our friend Mikey. And doesn't run away from that in any way, so I like no. that about her. Um, and you find out from her that uh, um, Victor Maitland, is her boss who owns the gallery, had hired Mikey as a favor to her to work security at his warehouse. Um... And then we go, uh, Axel goes to Victor Maitland's office in, in Beverly Hills and, you know, confronts him. And, and Victor Maitland does not at all tip his hat to being a, a uh, out-and-out crook by having five huge guys in suits <laughs> know, right? physically pick him up and, and carry throw him throw him out a window. Well, that's the thing. They he carry doesn't him even out. pretend to not be the No, no. I, think, I thought that part was hilarious. Not it's for a like, second. This guy suspects it anyway, so you know what? I'm not gonna I'm not gonna play the oh I'm so worried about Mikey. You know, he's and he doesn't like, even know that Axel's a cop at this point. No, Axel never identifies himself as a police officer, no. and so but he's Victor Maitland. He doesn't care, and he <laughs> well, that's the thing. I, I couldn't believe that they they physically carry Axel out. They could have just thrown him out the door and said, and don't come back, or whatever. He's not going to be able to do anything. Throw him they throw him through their own window. They <laughs> right. smash their own front lobby. And I couldn't believe why you would do that except to add insult to injury. But still, it's going to cost you more than it's going to cost Axel. I think I think the point was they don't care about the money. Um, yeah, that's true. But it adds a uh, charge for the cops to put on him. Yeah, and so these cops show up to immediately arrest him before his butt has even hit the sidewalk. Yeah. And he's arrested by uh, officers Arian and Youth, who are <laughs> immediately out of the squad car with these blonde crew cuts, blue eyes, square jaws, extremely, extremely uh, white authority figures who throw him in the back of their squad car for disturbing the peace. Um, and there's some fun business there with, this car is nicer than my apartment. <laughs> or when he's in the cell and he's like, I've never been in a jail cell that had a phone. I ordered a pizza. <laughs> It's all great stuff. Um, we see the interior of Beverly Hills Police Station. The command center. So do you know what this place is? They didn't get permission from the city of Beverly Hills to like see the inside of Beverly Hills Police Station operations mm -hmm. or anything. So they had to just invent it. And what Martin Brest had previously done before directing this film was get fired from war games. <laughs> this is like his old war games set. He, this is his old war game set. That's he awesome. recycled his initial uh, conceptual designs for the war games uh, NORAD command center yeah. into Beverly Hills police station operations. It worked. It did work. Although knowing that when I was watching it, I could tell, yeah, that's NORAD. <laughs> you look around and there's an insane amount of computer skill going on in this in this place. <laughs> like there's not even a booking or processing station anywhere. In the you get the impression that was off screen. Yeah, I suppose somewhere. so. There's just buttons and flashing knobs and dials and, and screens <laughs> everywhere. Well, that's for the lunar rover. Yeah. I guess I guess the idea is they have more money than they know what to do with, and they have anything they want yeah. that they've got, so any amount of technology is not insane for the station. Um, but it was, it was fun knowing that, watching it. Uh, and then we finally get to meet Taggart and Rosewood. Um, but more importantly, 
in my opinion, we meet Lieutenant Bogomil, mm -hmm. who's played by the legendary Ronnie Cox. And Ronnie Cox was uh, Cohagen in Total Recall. He was one of the heavies in RoboCop. He always plays like a jerk. And I thought at first he was going to be playing that same. Well, role that's what here. was. Uh, that's why I think he was such a great casting choice yeah. for this was because you thought he was going to be, and even in the beginning he kind of is like the the dick. Yeah, Cat but he's a, he's a dick because he's a straight laced guy who won't who won't. But he still wants to do the job. Right, but we don't know that at first. At first, no. all we know is he wants Axel. But I like that. I like that turn. Even the. Even the B team cops in Beverly Hills turn out to be decent guys in the end. Right, like they still want to do the That's police. That's what work. I love about all of these cops is like even the ones who are the ones you're supposed to not like are still there to help. Yeah, they're still ultimately. Yeah, they still they're there to help. Crimes. They want to like show up the other guys and and be the right. better, but they're still gonna help. <laughs> and that's great. It's yeah. it shows cops in a way that we don't often get anymore. To be honest, is you know, you know they're. They're people who are just trying to help, is, yeah. is the idea. So at, at first, you, at least at first, when I know that when I first watched this movie years ago as a child, um, Bogomil struck me as, oh, this is the bad, this is this is a guy, maybe he's even in the pocket of Victor Maitland. Yeah. And he's going to turn out to be one of those officials who looks the other way or has been paid off or just won't listen. But it's not the case with Bogomil. Um, in fact, so much so that in part two, Bogomil's one of the boys. Bogomil, it's not It's not even that... Part 2 takes place like three or four years later, and not only have Taggart and Rosewood and Axel become really good friends, it's a foursome. It's Taggart and Rosewood and Axel and, and Bogomil. <laughs> part 2 opens with panning around Foley's uh, apartment while he's getting dressed for a, an operation he's going to do, and amongst the bric-a-brac that the camera pans down on is a fishing trip photo of the four of them oh, that's awesome. fly fishing together, and they're like really tight. And then the next movie, um, Bogomil gets shot, so he becomes the new Mikey. That's in two or three. That's the two. That's the inciting incident uh, that brings brings Axel back. Because I thought it was Taggart. No, that was kind of how I remember. Bogomil gets shot. He's the new Mikey, which brings Axel back. Um, Bogomil's daughter uh, becomes the new Jenny. Uh, She's like seem familiar. so. So like Axel's a friend of the family, and so again, there's this beautiful. Uh, blonde woman who is completely platonic with Axel <laughs> and it's not like that's great have platonic relationships yeah, with as many women that. as possible but it, I just wondered like I don't remember much about part three but did Axel ever get a romantic interest don't know I don't know either but he doesn't get one in this movie and he doesn't get one in the next movie oh well maybe he will in four did they do four I, I don't even know did they do four no they didn't do no, four they stopped three we're gonna do oh okay <laughs> um yeah, all right. So, you know, Taggart and Rosewood. Uh, Rosewood, played by uh, Judge Reinhold. And Taggart, I don't remember that actor's name, but he's... I, did, I didn't recognize him from anything else. He's, he's one of those guys that I think I've seen in a bunch of stuff, but I couldn't tell you what, it, what exactly it was. I didn't mm -hmm. bother looking it up. Um, but I, I, Billy Rosewood is the one that I like of the two of them, because he's the young fresh-faced kid detective super naive yeah super naive but just wanting to help anyone anywhere dying to be of use i like that him being naive wasn't discussed or anything but when uh when axel takes them both to the strip club and he's explaining what's actually happening to taggart he just completely ignores rosewood right he's like 
So Taggart. Yeah. Here's what's going on. That's a great one. So, like, when Taggart and Rosewood get get uh, assigned to basically tail Foley and make sure he stays out of trouble, they're staking out his, his hotel, making sure he doesn't go anywhere. And they have this scene of them in the car just making small talk with each other. And <clears throat> I was reading that... Um, that whole scene where, where Rosewood says to Taggart, it says here that by the time a man turns 50, he's got five pounds of undigested red meat <laughs> in his, it is whatever. In his colon. In his colon. And <laughs> Taggart's like, why would you think I want to hear that? Well, you ate a lot of red meat. That whole scene, um, when they, when these two actors were auditioning for the role, they got paired up together. And for the audition... The director or the casting person or whoever it was mm-hmm. said, "All right, you're an old married couple. Go." And they almost verbatim did this improv, the red meat <laughs> scene. That's awesome. And they loved it so much they said, "We're gonna we're gonna use that," and they put it into the movie. And you really get that feeling of them as like an old married couple. Yeah, yeah. Just kind of one of them nitpicking at the other. Um, and so then you get the. The, the quick cameo from none other than uh, Damon Wayans. <laughs> yeah. Very young Damon Wayans. Uh, Gives him some bananas. Handed out bananas <clears throat> from the hotel. Um, and then he sticks the bananas in the tailpipe. That's a classic scene. And we go to the warehouse. There's a customs holding facility. The whole thing has to do with they the bad guys have a deal with customers where they're smuggling yeah. things in. No one's going to check them or whatever. Uh, and then we end up, you know, he comes back. He he tells Rosewood and Taggart, just come with me. I don't. I want to keep ditching you guys. Just stay with me, wherever I go. Yeah. And he takes him to the strip club, and that strip club scene that you were talking about is one that I love too because um, the professionalism, like it's kind of like what you were saying with the professionalism between Axel and Taggart. Taggart yeah. <clears throat> there's there's no like. He notices the two guys in the jackets who are about to rip the place off, and there's no like loss of. I mean, Tagger takes a second to catch up to speed with him that what's about to go down. But there's they're looking at each other, and Tagger, you could just tell by the eye contact between the two of them that they're both old pros at this, and yeah. they both seen some stuff. All of a sudden, he's stuff. like, "Hey, no bullshit, this is happening right now." And yeah. Tagger's like, "Got it." Yeah, and, and he goes and feels it. And he tells Billy, "Stay here." <laughs> Poor Billy. Billy's the best, but Billy's not ready for this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And they, they take down uh, an attempted robbery. To be fair, Taggart is a sergeant. True. And all the other detectives are just detectives. Yeah. So he is higher ranking than that. Right. Taggart's a sergeant and Bogomil's lieutenant of yeah. the squad. Um, and then there's a chief that we meet later, too. Um, I love that that scene with Axel. He's, when he approaches the one gunman and he's like, Phil! <laughs> hostility and he like never, that was a great way to get shot even when the guy takes out the pump action rifle and points it at him and knocks him on the floor axel still keeps going with the bit <laughs> he's so committed to the bit and this is what i mean like he he won't stop doing the amusing himself he's not amusing anybody else he's just amusing himself it got him close he disarmed the guy yeah and disarms the guy. And that's what leads to everybody back at police headquarters. And Sorry, before we get any letters into our mail system, it was a shotgun. Sorry, shotgun. And then we're back at police headquarters. We got a lot of gun nuts in our <laughs> yeah, leadership. Yeah, they write in all the time. And Axel does his super cops thing. 
Yeah, yeah, it's Super Cop Store. The Super Cop Store is great. And again, this was one of those, they were constantly rewriting scenes around improv stuff that they were doing as they were mm-hmm. shooting this. And this whole scene was, they'd done this scene several times until until the Super Cops version, which is when Eddie Murphy's just like, let me do some something. And he does Super Cops. And you can tell, like, Taggart's got his head in his hand and he's squeezing the bridge of his nose like, I'm in so much trouble and this is getting deeper. But really, he's trying not to laugh. That actor's trying not to lose his composure on the camera because this is all improvised and coming out for the first time, and they just leave that all in. And I like that this is the first time you get a hint that the captain's not just a D-bag. Yeah, yeah. Because when he's like, guys, the super cops thing was working. You ruined it. And the captain's like... "Eh, He smiles a little (laughs) bit, cracks a little of that veneer. Yeah. Um, and then even uh, I mean we we go quickly back to Maitland who is like uh, back at his uh, his office and saying that you got to do something about Foley. He sounds exactly like Hans Gruber from Die Hard, <laughs> exactly. But then we're back immediately at police headquarters and Foley decides to basically come clean about what he suspects is going on with the smugglers with Bogomil. Mm-hmm. And this is when I. I kind of fall in love with Bogomil because he's like, forget what you can prove to me. Just tell me, tell me what's what going you on. think is going on. Yeah. And he's totally open to the idea of, all right, well, if that is the case, maybe I should get some people on that. Yeah. He doesn't be like, he's not like, I'm not this blind is the most, to it. Yeah. This is the most highly respected citizen in town and I won't have you besmirching his good name. None of that. Um, but it's at that moment, just when Bogomil's sort of starting to get on their side that the chief comes in. Um, this chief walks in, and I don't know if you noticed, but the chief has a wadded up piece of paper in his hand. And apparently, at least according to what I read online, yeah. this wadded up piece of paper in the chief's hand when he tears into all of them are the lines that he received for the scene like 10 minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. They just gave him these lines. He walks in and does this. And he's a great Again, he's he's the ultimate chief who is tired of all scuba antics. I really like when, uh, you know, an Axel's like making fun of him and they're like, Jesus, keep your voice down. What, is he going to hear me through the wall? And everyone's like, yeah, he's going to hear you yep. through the wall. And, uh, and regardless of what they just got told by the chief, Axel gets Billy on his side. And through Billy, he gets Rosewood on his side. I mean, uh, Taggart on his side. And after Billy kills a guy... <laughs> it doesn't call it in. Well, he so Billy is supposed to take Axel out of town, right? He's supposed to follow him to the like drive him to, to the, the airport. City limits, yeah. The city, city limits, yeah. And instead, he allows him to sidetrack him to Jenny's art gallery to meet Jenny. And the only interesting thing about the scene is that when he when Axel introduces Billy to Jenny, he says, "This is my good friend, Detective Billy Rosewood. Billy's a Beverly Hills cop." And I like stood up and I thought, <laughs> no way in hell is the title character of this movie Billy Rosewood. Billy Rosewood, but it is. Axel Foley's a Detroit cop. He's not Beverly Hills cop. Arguably he is by the end of it, maybe. I couldn't believe what I heard. I was like, no way. Is is this really a secret Billy pilot or something? Like <laughs> Rosewood, the legendary journey. You may have thought Eddie Murphy was the main character, but no, it's Judge Reinhold. He was just here to soften you up for Judge Reinhold. Um, he does play a bigger part in 
The others, yeah, as I recall. he does. He does. Did he become like a gun nut or something? <laughs> yeah. In part two, they go over to Philly's apartment, and Axel's just like borrowing his phone to make a phone call, and he's sitting in his bedroom on the phone. And the closet door is ajar, and he opens the closet door, and on the inside of the door is just like an arsenal of guns, and, <laughs> and he's like, "Jesus, Billy!" <laughs> and every to be fair, Billy got in a shootout with machine guns when he had like a popcat pistol. So I think, yeah, he had the smallest pistol of anyone in the movie. Even Axel has a pretty good size. Pistol. He has like a forty-five, yeah. and uh, poor Billy has like a little thirty-two sub nose. Billy... I'm not even sure would have hurt anybody if he'd hit him with it. Billy's ready to start a foot race. <laughs> yeah, that's a starter pistol. Uh, yeah, shooting blanks. It's not going to fly when the drug dealers and smugglers are after you, Billy. But I think that is. I think you're right. That is what gets him in, into guns. It and makes sense. I don't. I don't know if they address more. it, but later on in part two, not only does he have all those guns on his door, but like. Uh, Axel's trying to break into like a drawer or something and his knife that he's trying to fiddle the lock breaks and Billy whips out this giant knife and says, here, take this. And Taggart and Axel just look at him like, what the hell? Um, but I, I love the way that these cops befriend Axel. Um, it's like like we were saying before, it's all about respect for the job, really. Mm-hmm. And they can see that Axel knows what he's doing and clearly is on to something here there's enough to pursue and so they can't help but help him um even if it's going to mean their badges what bothers me though is that jenny insists on coming along to go back to the warehouse and see what's going on there and axel is like hmm, all right fine billy is a beverly hills police detective yeah why well so he actually made the point that billy can't come in or this is an illegal search sure if billy if jenny comes back out and says Billy, I found something. Comes back in. You can leave Axel out of the story, and like chain of custody and all that stuff is fine. That the charges will stick if they find something. But if Billy broke into the warehouse with Axel, then he already knows Billy is straight laced enough to tell the truth to at least someone. Then they'll lose whatever they find is tainted, inadmissible. Evidence. All that yeah. makes perfect sense to me. But what <laughs> the other, the flip side of that coin is that the only reason they would look in the warehouse is that they suspect there's something dangerous in there. And Billy is letting a civilian walk in there. They didn't think that the contraband was dangerous. They just, they didn't know anybody was going to be there. All right, I guess. I don't know. It's At least at the moment, I didn't think it was as bad. Because when they go in there and they get immediately caught by the bad guys, they keep flashing back to Billy in the car. Who is just more and more nervous because he keeps yeah. seeing more bad guys show up from the outside. And he's like, uh, maybe I should do something now? Or, wait, now I definitely should do something. I mean, Axel could have been super dead by the time he finally went in there. If if uh, Zach hadn't taken his time to beat up on him a little bit before he was going to kill him, if he had just done his job and just shot him and left, like, yeah. Axel's dead. Well, I mean... But Axel, at least, is a fellow officer who takes responsibility for his own danger that he's putting himself into. Sure, yeah. She's, he's supposed to protect and serve Jenny. Yeah. Um, but anyway, when he calls he calls Taggart, uh, no, he doesn't call Taggart, he calls back to headquarters to uh, try and get some backup, um, and Taggart is on the line there. He's like, Dilly, what are you doing? <laughs> and suddenly, not only is... Taggart breaking the rules and Billy's breaking the rules, but the whole squad gets in on it yeah, real like, fast. Even even the operator, because the operator guy knows exactly what is happening. Yep. 
And then in like five minutes, Bogomil comes over and he's like, hmm, what's going on? Where, where are those guys? He's like, well, I don't know, sir. I can check. Yeah. And then Bogomil... He's at this address. It's like, of course that guy knows. Isn't that Victor just... Maitland's address? Yes, it is. And then Bogomil's like, all right, tell them there's undercover units on scene and that they should proceed as, as soon as possible. And he's like, undercover units, sir? He's like, just tell them that. <laughs> Everybody starts breaking the rules immediately because... He's well, he doesn't want him to shoot Axel, I guess. I guess. Just don't tell Bogomil. Don't tell the chief. Don't tell anybody that half the half the police department is. Yeah, you're gonna figure it out when twenty cop cars all oh pull into that and then hit each other. And then Taggart, <clears throat> Taggart does a little a little uh, uh, badassery when he goes. All right, fine, we'll go in. And he he shows up. He shows up at the house and he's gonna go in with them. He goes into his trunk and pulls out that uh, the shotgun. shotgun. Yeah. That he just had, but I guess that makes sense. They, you know, police officers do carry some. Yeah, they all have shotguns in the back. Well, yeah, even squad cars have those. In the I mean, back LA line. cops have like assault yeah. rifles. Yeah, they do. <clears throat> um, and now that Axel F is just in full blast. Yeah, and you're so digging that music. <laughs> it's all Axel F all the time. Oh, it's the best. <clears throat> and a bunch of dudes with Uzis. These who are, couldn't hit something to save. They are the their worst lives. machine gunners ever. All they do is... I mean, these are three guys who are clumped together <laughs> in a driveway. You should at least clip one by accident. It should be like nothing... It should be no problem to hit all three of them, but they're sweeping motion with these machine guns and no one gets hit. You know, I've, I've never shot an Uzi. I don't know how accurate they are, but I still feel like at least a couple thousand bullets went their way. Something should have hit something. Only only thing that ever gets hit is the... Like the driveway in front of their feet, or various pots and stuff. Well, it's funny because they do planters. Um, the planters thing is funny because there's a scene where uh, Axel pops up and he's like to the right of the frame, and it's centered on the pot. And you're like, "What are the who? Whose cinematography is this?" And then the pot blows up, and you're like, "Oh, oh right." Uh, there's a couple things like that where you're just like, "Is this guy ever shot action? What's happening right now?" This whole scene, the the. <laughs> I guess you'd call it the attack on the compound. The shooting gallery thing, yeah. Um, is fun and action-packed, yet somehow much more low-key than, than that car chase in the beginning. Like, Way lower. There's guns and stuff going on, but no one's getting hit. And no, there's no danger. There's no real... Yeah, the stakes don't seem anywhere near as high as the cigarette truck from the beginning. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> which was amazingly high. Um, so... There's a great bit of, of business when they're trying to get Taggart up over the wall. That that actually seemed like a little over the top for me. I like, hey. At first, I thought it was going on too long, and I thought, yeah, this is not funny anymore. But then when Rosewood said, let's just go around, <laughs> I lost it when he said, let's just go around. And Taggart's like, no, come on. And then when he finally gets him over the wall, they shoot at him. Miss him, but shoot at him. Um, and then the... The great thing is, I mean, yes, all the hired guns went to the Cobra School of Target Practice. Yes. Um, but Victor Maitland is the only one of them who actually gets a shot that hits one of the three cops. And it, Was he, it Victor the shot it was Axel Victor, or was it Zach? No, it was Victor Clips Axel. Okay. Although, uh, oh, they, Zach had a shotgun. So if he yeah. hit him, that would have been a problem. Zach gets taken out, doesn't he? He does. Uh, he's sneaking after Axel, and then Axel's just like crouched in a room and... He walks right in front of him. Oh, okay. Blows him away. So it's not like a. But that's when thing. Axel's checking his body to make sure he's dead that he gets shot. He gets shot in the arm by Maitland. Yeah. That's the only one of the 
Nobody else is going to get harmed during the making of this film. Just It's funny, and I'll... I'm going to tell you something somebody told me that may ruin every action movie you ever see. Okay, lay it on me. That whenever... Whoever you are focusing on, the character you're focusing on, is going to get surprised. So, like, if... Sure. If you're watching a movie that's tense where you're like, I don't know if they're going to get out of this or not. If you're watching the villain searching for the hero, hero wins. If you're watching the hero, villain wins. Like, they always jump out and do something. Oh, it just depends on whose point of view you're watching. From. Yeah, it is always who, whoever's going to get the yeah, upper hand sense. is the guy that's off screen. And, like, as soon as that... It's funny because, like, I don't know, I get really into shit sometimes. Mm-hmm. And, like, certain movies are, have higher stakes than Beverly Hills Cop. And so, like, if the camera's on the hero, I'm like, oh, shit. That's why, for me, the, the most fun... Uh, surprises that movies can do are the, the the mind Fs. You know what I mean? Like, the things that upend everything you thought you knew. Not the surprise yeah. jump out from behind a, a cupboard or whatever, but yeah. like, I went to go see The Sixth Sense with my mom. <laughs> Shut up. I went to go see The Sixth Sense with my mom. Hey, moms are allowed to like moms movies. Moms need movies too. Um, and we saw it like, the I mean, we weren't like it wasn't a huge movie at the time we saw it. It hadn't taken off yet. No one was talking about it. It was like open for three days, and no one had said okay. anything yet. And so we both watched the movie. And when that end scene comes, neither of us knew that. Spoiler. It's funny. I even knew there was a twist in that. I didn't yeah. see it coming. Spoiler alert: Bruce Willis was dead the whole movie, kids. Um, but that blew us both away. Like I loved that reveal. Yeah. I really enjoyed it, and I'm so glad I didn't get that ruined for me beforehand but just the the jump outs and the uh like the jump scares that you see all the time in movies uh when you're following that point of view Mm -hmm. uh those are i think i think even the best ones the best executed ones you're still going to kind of half expect it right i mean you can't yeah you can't not um we knew somebody was going to shoot it fully we didn't know it was going to be Maitland but it was going to be somebody what I'm saying is from the cinematography you can you can figure out who's going to win sometimes yeah that's true especially if the camera is on the villain sneaking around looking for the hero hero's going to get the drop on yeah um outside while uh Maitland and Foley are having their their last uh showdown (laughs) there's a 27 car pile up in the driveway (laughs) where because Bogomil called every available unit in the area, and it's like like 15, 20 cars show up, and they're all trying to get into one driveway, and they all plow into each other, basically. It's funny because they're totally unfazed by it. Everyone just gets out of their cars and they're like, hey, this happens. Well, the reason they're unfazed by it is because nobody was dangling from a chain out the back of one of the cars. <laughs> there were no explosions. There was no constant barrage. They totally through. dented some cars and broke a fountain. They did break a few cars, yeah. Um, and then what surprised, what did surprise the hell out of me with this particular quick action shot was that, you know, Foley's looking for Maitland, Maitland's looking for Foley. And then suddenly they're there and they face off and, uh, you know, Maitland's got Jenny. Where was Jenny this whole time? Jenny was being held in a room you know, somewhere. I, and I don't and know what Maitland's plan was with Jenny. I think he was like holding he kinda her. he kind of has to kill her. I think he was holding her in case she was going to be useful before he could get out of 
town. And I guess, when all man. the shooting started going off, like when he heard shooting in the compound, he went, he made a beeline to grab her. Yeah. I assume. That's just headcanon, though. We don't see any of that. No. It's, it's a fair yeah. assumption. And There's he's no like, reason not to think that, but. She's my ticket out of here. I'm going to hostage her. And so Foley can't take the shot. And then Bogomil shows up and says, Freeze, Beverly Hills Police. And it's just that split second of, what is this guy doing here now that everybody takes advantage of? Because Jenny, God bless her, punches, she does the, the elbow punch. Yeah, right? she gets him in the gut and in the gut. gets out of the way. And then it's Foley and Bogomil who fill Maitland <laughs> with holes. They shoot him like 18 times and then he falls down the stairs. <laughs> they shot him. I counted the shots from both of them and each of them let off six shots. Both of them. So that's at least 12 bullets if they all hit in, in Victor Maitland when he falls down. They seem like they all hit. Yeah. It was not, they were not far away. It was almost like point blank. Cops yeah. would have made those shots. Yeah. For sure. And Jenny, I guess, just dived to the floor. We don't see exactly where she goes, except she does go away. Yeah, she's fine. We'll see her later. Yeah. But I was like, hey, where to go Bogomil? I mean, I knew Axel was going to be there in the end. I didn't know Bogomil would be there in the end. I didn't well, expect I like that. that. Like, he's... He killed Maitland. Yes, like, he did. He, he's definitely on board now. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever story he tells the chief has yeah. to make sure, like, Bogo. And yes, I did kill Victor Maitland, this upstanding citizen. If you were no not, big deal. If you were not behind <laughs> Axel on it before, you, you were definitely be. all in. <laughs> I thought it was great. I, I really loved that the two of them did it together. And it's not all on Axel, who's going to have to now explain why Victor Maitland is dead in his own home. Right. Thank God. Um,. And then it's just the wrap-up when the chief arrives to survey the damage and say, this is that great moment where he shows up, the chief arrives, and he sees Foley sitting there nursing his shoulder. And he says, what is this man doing here? And Axel says, bleeding, sir. <laughs> I love that bit. Um, and that it's just a wrap-up and, you know, we'll put in a call to Inspector Todd and make sure this is all cleared away with him so you don't get fired kind of thing. And uh, maybe in four years, we'll be fishing buddies. Yeah. And then I'll get shot and you'll come back. Finny. Um, and that's pretty much it. And it, it was tons of fun. I, I, loved it. I mean, what do you think? So, I mean, now's the time where we ask, is it worth another go around? What do you think? Well, we'll say this. It did not hold up for me as well as I remembered. To me, the, the high point was definitely the beginning. The very beginning. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And well, not just the uh, the obvious intro scene, but like all the all the place setting, and then him showing up in Beverly Hills and the stuff with the cops. But like once it turned into more or less like once he was being escorted out of town, and then like from there is a direct line to the end of the movie of just like action scene, action scene, and then like I think the the action scene at the mansion was really not very good. Well, I do agree with you that there's it, no tension. It's not a very tense action. These guys sequence. can't hit anything to no. save their lives. No. They're all in like weird elevated positions and they get shot and then like go tumbling down. And like it just feels like, uh, I'll put it this way The Three Amigos is one of my favorite movies. And like its action scenes do that stuff like as a, as a joke to these kind of movies. <laughs> Or, I'm sorry, to, like, westerns and, like, you shoot a guy at a balcony and he's like, oh, clutches his heart and falls over the thing. Like, they do all that stuff because that's what they're lampooning. This did it because... This was they their... Just, that's just what they did on they purpose. Did. It's so, like... 
we um you and I have discussed uh very probably doing three amigos at some point for I I would be happy to talk. I would be happy to turn this into a Three Amigos podcast well, the thing and is, only do Three Amigos from here on out. <laughs> we can't do that at this point, and I'll tell you why. I've seen a lot of Three Amigos. I have not seen all of Three Amigos. Oh, my God. And so when we do Three Amigos, and I'm happy to do Three Amigos, I'm going to watch all of it start to finish okay. for, the, for probably the first time. I don't think I've ever seen the whole movie. But I could li- I could sit down here and write the script, like that is how many times I have seen Three Amigos. See what I what I like about um, I I mean I agree with you that the end of this movie is nowhere near as compelling as the first two thirds of the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's definitely it definitely is less compelling in the last third of the movie than than the rest of it. Um, but I think they're sort of just following a formula. They're following the formula, and they're following the formula pretty well. Well, I guess my point was not that this is bad or bad for the time. It was that it didn't land the same way as it did for Fifth Grade Brent. I'm just wondering. Where I how, thought the movie was just the best. I'm thing just ever. wondering how we could have raised the stakes within this script for the last third that would have been a more satisfying ending. Like I'm no, not no, even. I mean, the tone of the movie has always been like there are no good guys other than. Mikey, in the very beginning, you die or even get shot, other than Axel gets shot in the arm. Right? Mikey, Mikey getting shot is not heartbreaking, even though he's Axel's dear friend, because Mikey is he sinned stupid, and re- yeah, he and a thief and stealing from other thieves, and you're like, how did you think this was going to end for you, Mikey? Like I don't. I, don't get me wrong. It's not like I'm dying for Mikey to no, die. No, he deserved it. You were when, like, finally. But when, when he does die, you're like, well, Mikey, you stole from a bunch of killers. What do you think was going to happen? Yeah. But, but like, I'm just trying to think. I don't know. I don't know how this movie uh, has a really satisfying end. You need to have some kind of comeuppance for the villain. Um well, it's funny. So I think you need to. This is a really hard line to follow. Like I think a very similar movie, like, in like the way it straddles the tone is. Uh, did you see Tropic Thunder? Yes. I love Tropic Thunder. The first three quarters of that movie are unparalleled, <laughs> but then the last quarter of it, it really kind of loses the. Uh, it loses its way a while, a bit, when it starts to turn in, try to turn into an action movie and stuff, and then like, yeah, serious things are happening, but they're not treated seriously because it's it's a comedy movie. Like they needed to sort of transition the tone a little bit, and they didn't do it, but like they did sort of transition the tone here into like straight action movie towards the end. It was just turned into kind of a vanilla action movie. I just something just occurred to me. Do you think it might have been a better, more satisfying ending if uh, Maitland was, you know, who's a very powerful man in the city, was somehow in bed with, not Bogomil, because I'm not giving up Bogomil, but yeah. like the chief, for instance. And the chief ends well, I mean, up becoming I mean, implied. He or, even could have been. Yeah, I there's know. nothing to refute that except that Maitland's dead. So the chief's not gonna like. <laughs> what are you gonna do? I gotta salvage the situation. Yeah. The captain is filing this report. 
and no one's refuting it, you're stuck. Yeah. I love that that <clears throat> uh, you expect me to believe that report, and Bogomil says, like, "That's the one I'm filing." That's the one I'm filing, and everyone's on board with that. And okay, well, I guess I can't really refute that, so we'll, we'll move on. I mean, what are you going to do? Like, sends internal affairs after him over this? Let's like, not forget your yeah. entire police force was in on this entire operation. They were all not to mention these guys all, are super dirty. Yeah. They shot at cops yeah. like nothing else. If nothing else, like, they took Uzis and shot at cops with them. Yeah, sure. So, quite apart from the how would we improve the ending is the question that we normally ask every time on this episode, which is, on this podcast, which is, uh, if you were going to do it, give another go around, how would you change it? What would you do? Hmm. I just don't know that this would fly now. Um... I think if you did it now, it'd be a much more serious movie. I think all all movies are much more serious. Are more serious now. Yeah. Like even action comedies are less comedy and more action. Yeah. Um. They did. I will say that they tried to do a revisit of Beverly Hills Cop as a police. I'm sorry. As a as a. That's right. Television they did this, this series. TV show. Well, they. Did they did a pilot, um, but it was such a mess. It got showed to some limited audiences and then never went anywhere. Never aired. I was about to say I don't. I never saw it air. No one did. And we're actually pretty good about like we really like watching pilots, right. even if they're terrible. Like I like seeing. It didn't air on. Ideas. It didn't air on on network or anything. It so they made this this pilot 2013, where the son of Axel Foley, who was played by Eddie Murphy. Axel was showing. I mean, Eddie Murphy showed up as Axel for the pilot. Who who played the son? Uh, Anybody in particular? I don't remember. I, I didn't. He didn't seem familiar to me. Oh, okay. But he plays Aaron Foley, the son. And the idea was, um, the son of Axel is trying to get out of his father's shadow in Detroit, and so he goes to Beverly Hills to take down these major to players. get in his father's other shadow to take down these major players that are operating in Beverly Hills. Okay. Because like Axel has become the cop in Detroit like everybody knows Axel Foley and and he's just a legend now fair enough and his son is an up and coming detective and wants to make his own name but he gets he like stumbles onto something happening in Beverly Hills and he goes to Beverly Hills to stop it Axel follows him and then the series was going to be sort of a father and son thing in Beverly Hills while they're taking down various Beverly Hills bad guys okay which seems weak to me like <laughs> a, like a villain of the week in Beverly Hills? Why always in Beverly Hills? What What's the... Do we have that Those much... Two Detroit cops? Yeah. That you need to be over here for? Um, okay. I think that would have been a good situation where... Uh, I'm trying to think of the show and I can't think of it. Did you ever see Psych? Oh, sure. I love Psych. Well, like in Psych, he always like consults his dad... Right. A little bit of it, like you could have Axel be that thing, and he could still be in Detroit half the time. Sometimes yes. he visits to see his son, and yeah, he's yeah, like, yeah. and he can get in on the action when he's in town. He doesn't have to be there all the time. Yeah, I think that would have worked fine. Well, but like, and actually have the son like transfer, like, sure, I, I can do things like I, you know, he's out there on his own thing for the pilot, but then he right. he's actually like now he's actually a Beverly Hills cop. Yeah, yeah, I can <clears> see that. I don't like I said I don't know this much more than what I just the general 
outline of that story because that's all anyone knows about the story of the pilot that they put together. They showed it to some test audiences and it was generally thought to be a mess and nothing ever happened with it. Well, I mean, I think the idea is solid. I think it could work. Here's... Especially as a TV show. Here's what I would rather see if we're going to revisit the property. Um... Billy Rosewood, the adventures continue. No. Um, what I want to see is a true Beverly Hills cop. I don't want to see a Detroit cop in Beverly Hills. That's the whole premise. No, but here's here's what I would do. I would flip the premise. Oh, have a Beverly Hills cop go to Detroit? In Detroit. I want a okay. cop who is a good cop, but he's a good cop who's always had lots of resources and everyone on his side. Yeah suddenly cut off from all the resources and having to really work and hustle to get anything done in a situation in, you know, maybe he gets transferred to Detroit or whatever, and he is, it's... Or it's an exchange program. Or an exchange or something program, something like, yeah, something yeah, like yeah. that. Some, where he some has dumb to yeah, be this, He's the fish out of water, and he has to figure out, like, how do you even get anything done around here? I, I mean... You don't yeah, have, he's like, run this through the, the fingerprint database. Right. And like, <laughs> you know, they put the book in front of him. They're like, here's got, our database. Do you've, it. You've got no budget. You've got, like, you've got to work three times as hard for anything to get done. And everyone is against you. And you don't have, like, the immediate public trust that you might have in another, you know, Beverly Hills-ish kind of area. Yeah. That I would would like to see. And I still think there's just as much comedy to be to be mine. Yeah, there. for sure. Um, no, I think it's a better idea. At least for a movie, I think yeah. the the other direction works. Like the the Axel Sun thing, I actually do think would work well for a TV show if you had it, you know, written well. Yeah. And serial oh. police shows do pretty fucking well. I what think. about this? What about that? The same thing. It's a Beverly Hills cop who is suddenly in Detroit and having to having to really work for his cases. But what if like Axel? who became this legendary cop and worked so often with the Beverly Hills Police Department as he did in at least three movies. Yeah. What if eventually Axel transferred to Beverly Hills to work with those close friends of his and became a Beverly Hills cop and his son became a cop in Beverly Hills and doesn't know all the, you know... The, the street smarts. That his father that. had coming up. He He has been living this other life over here and now he's going to discover what what things were like you know, I mean he won't discover what things were like for his father but he'll he'll have to go into Detroit with you know this naive you know uh, place of privilege yeah bring that with him because if he grew up in Beverly Hills like he probably had a great education right. like, and all this other stuff and, and he's like dad I, I'll bet you anything I could clean up Detroit you know whatever <laughs> it's like you do that maybe that's the way that's, that'd be interesting too because then you keep the sun aspect you know what, man? I think there's mileage here every direction you take it. <laughs> um, definitely for TV show, I think you can you can strike that balance of uh, comedy and police work because it's been mined thoroughly. That's true. Um, like you you paint by numbers, and this thing will get picked up by a by a studio. I I'm I would love to see that pilot to see how Me bad too. it is because yeah. like. A cop procedural with known IP, and you can't make it work. Like you are a terrible writer. Not only that, or or a terrible production. Something is off. But with Eddie Murphy participating too. I mean, Eddie Murphy's not. He's no slouch. 
No, maybe Aaron, maybe the actor for Aaron was awful or something, but it didn't, like, replace him. That happens all the time. Pilot will be one guy, and they, they just get a new The Lethal Weapon series. They replaced him after they season They replaced uh, Riggs pretty quick. That's what's hilarious, is because Riggs was always his last name, so it's just a different guy with the last name. It's like his cousin. Is he's it his cousin? One. It is his cousin. And he's still it's a Riggs? Stifler. Well, I know it's American Stifler, Pie, but I didn't know he was, his cousin. He's still, he still, it's still Murtaugh and Riggs. That's hysterical. Man... That's great because I I saw an episode of first season of the Lethal Weapon series and I liked it. I thought it was pretty good. Yeah, I watched the pilot and then maybe an episode or two after that. And it's then I fine. heard about what happened with that actor and just completely blowing his chances. Well, I think I think Wayans is probably pretty difficult to work with, and it sounds like uh, the guy that played Riggs was also super difficult to work with, but. Nobody had ever heard of him. Right. So, what are you going to do, man? So they wrote him his cousin. That is great. And it reminds me of, there was this show called Due South. I don't know if you ever watched this. Uh, Due South, this was years ago. It sounds super familiar. It was about a cop who worked with a Mountie from Canada. Yeah, it was the Canadian thing. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. So, I forget how many seasons this show was on, but I watched it because I liked it. And in, like, season three, the Mounties... I forget what the Mountie's name was, but his partner was Ray, the cop. In season three, the, the premiere episode of the, season, of the season, the Mountie comes back from after having been on a trip. And Ray is played by a different actor. <laughs> and everyone is calling this guy Ray and acting like there's nothing going on. And the Mountie cannot figure it out because he's like, that's, that's not Ray. And he's pointing at him, he's saying, this is not Ray. And he talks to the, act, to the, to the, to the cop's sister and he says... That's not your brother. I know your brother. That's not your brother. And she's like, I don't know what you're talking about. And it turns out after like two episodes, you find out the story is that Ray got, uh, he was he was digging into the mafia or something and he got in deep and they had to send him away for his own protection. And they got this other guy to come in and pretend to be him. And so like all the surrounding cast is just treating him like he's Ray. And it was the most meta treatment of Getting rid of an actor and bringing in a new person to play the same no, character I ever seeing, heard of. I remember that happening and being super confused. <laughs> it was extremely confusing for Especially the audience. Especially as a viewer, yeah. For the audience, for the actors, for the characters in the actual universe. I was like, what is going on? That was my favorite example of that. Anyway. That's pretty great. Um, so, yeah, uh, I think we came up with some, some decent avenues. I think, I think there's this. mileage here. I mean, the fact that they... That they did a pilot and killed it is not great because that means someone owns the rights. Oh yeah, and they suck at it. That's so, a shame. Yeah, I got bad news. Uh, film rights are typically different than TV rights, so maybe maybe do a, yeah maybe they could see it again. Um, I'm just I'm just wondering like if they did another movie, who of the modern crop of actors would you want to see as a as a That's new actor? No, I just. Like, if I was a producer, I would never make this as a movie. No, yeah. I would do this as a TV show. It's such a, a like, it's such think, a layup right now. I like, think I agree with you 100%. Like, there's a lot of, like, cop shows on TV, and they're not that great. Like, right. Magnum P.I. is still on the air. And, like, the the MacGyver reboot, I think, is still going. And, like, they're not very good. <laughs> like, they're fine. They're fine, yeah. But they're not, like, good. 
You know what I mean? It's just, but people like that. They like turning off their brain and watching a little bit of of cop intrigue. And yeah. like there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, The Mentalist is one of my favorite shows. Like um but yeah, this is this is a shoe in, man. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, I think that's going to do it for Beverly Hills Cop then. All uh, right. Thanks everybody for joining us once again. We'll see you next time on the Three Amigos <laughs> podcast. Very possibly the Three Amigos. The whole the podcast will turn into the Three Amigos podcast. Uh, it'll be fun because I certainly need to watch that movie. Um, so I hope it's been a while since I've seen it again. I hope it's as good as I remember. Meantime, if anybody wants to uh, shoot us an email, uh, let us know your thoughts or suggestions for a future episode, please do. You can email us at illuminatiespodcast at gmail.com. You can go over and check out any of our episodes at illuminatiesrocks or wherever you get fine podcasts. Uh, until next time, uh, we've done our job, Hollywood. You do yours. <laughs>